Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Here at the uh, bus station in Liberia, Costa Rica, not a lot of people here. It's a relatively small bus station. One thing is clear is that we stand out. In October, my colleagues, CNN International correspondent Matt Rivers, producer Natalie Gajan, and photographer David Von Blon were traveling by bus in Costa Rica. This was not a usual trip. They were attempting something dangerous, sneaking into Nicaragua undercover as tourists. We seem to be, at least at this point, the only tourists. Not sure if that's going to help us or hurt us when we try and get into Nicaragua, but that's, that's definitely the reality here. It was a simple enough plan, but a risky one. Under the last 14 years of President Daniel Ortega's rule, a campaign of political terror has gripped the country. Nicaragua's Daniel Ortega is seeking a fourth consecutive term and has made sure nothing stands in his way. On November 7th, Ortega was re-elected as president in an election many called a farce. In the months leading up to the elections, the government refused entry to multiple international journalists, from the New York Times to NPR and others. Matt and his team knew the odds were against them, but they still wanted to try and tell the story from the inside. Just hope we get in. Yeah, my mom says good luck. <laughs> my mom said que Dios lo bendiga. <laughs> thank you for your, thank you for the blessings of the Lord from your mom. Oh, you know, they're praying for us today, trust oh, me. Oh, my parents too. I know this moment well, that feeling that comes just before an undercover trip. It's intensely nerve-wracking, but all you can really do is stay positive and hope for the best. Matt and Natalie have been reporting on Central and South America for years. They've been talking to Nicaraguan activists, refugees, and everyday citizens since the recent conflict began. In this episode, they're going to tell you a story of a movement, a crackdown, and a stolen election. This is Tug of War, Episode 5, Nicaragua. Right now we're approaching the uh, border checkpoint. So we're going to have to get off the bus and go through immigration. I think I'm just going to try and 
put my phone in my pocket to record some of the sound that we might hear as we go through. And yeah, this is the moment. Uh, we either get in or we don't. It's October 2021, less than one month to go before the Nicaraguan presidential elections. And we are at the border between Costa Rica and Nicaragua. And inside the Nicaraguan immigration office, it is sweltering. I'm sweating from the heat. And if I'm honest, it's a tense situation. I know my producer Natalie and my photographer David, they are both feeling the same way. Hyper-focused, apprehensive, but also putting on a calm front so everybody thinks we're just three friends on vacation. Here's your bag. (laughs) So we walk up to the counter and we hand our passports over to the immigration officer. And at first, it does seem like everything is going well, maybe for about 15 minutes or so. She asks about my job. I try my best impression of bad foreigner Spanish and tell her we work in education. We're private English tutors for rich kids in Mexico. But she does not seem satisfied with my answer, so she keeps asking more questions. And then, out of the blue, she says, none of you guys are journalists, right? I obviously understand her, but try to pretend that I don't. We're teachers, I repeat. But it's too late. They're suspicious, and I'm on edge. And then she says this. She asks if we work for CNN. They know that at least some of us work for CNN, and clearly they have information on us. Now, I think, for these authorities, it's probably a question of, okay, do they let us in or not? For the next three hours, they make us sit there and wait. But eventually, an official comes up to us and says, it's time to go. So we've been uh, formally escorted out of the country. After waiting three hours, they told us that we need to send a formal request to the government in order to be allowed in, without giving us any reason as to why we weren't allowed in. They won't answer our questions. And so now, officially, we're back on the Costa Rican side. Um, Clearly, they don't want people like us inside the country. It's true, we did lie about our jobs, but we knew that the odds of us getting let in were basically zero if we said that we were journalists straight off the bat. And we knew it would be safer for everyone we interviewed in Nicaragua if the government didn't know why we were there. But this is also a symptom of what's going on inside Nicaragua right now. They're trying to silence local media, and now they've basically stopped foreign journalists from trying to go see what's happening for ourselves. So we have to rent a car and drive back to our hotel in Costa Rica. We're hugely disappointed, but we know there's still a lot of reporting to be done just on this side of the border. Under longtime President Daniel Ortega, Nicaragua has become a police state. Speaking out against the government is considered treason. Activists, opposition politicians, and journalists have been thrown in jail. In a country with less than 7 million people, more than 100,000 of them have fled in recent years. But even living abroad, lots of people are still terrified. I'm still scared. I haven't reopened my business. I don't want to go outside. 
I do not feel secure. That is Raisa Hope. She owns a flower shop in San Jose, Costa Rica, where we spoke to her and her friend, Berenice Zeladon. We're not using their real names here for their safety. They're both Nicaraguan activists who fled across the border after a government crackdown followed massive protests in 2018. A month ago, something happened in this flower shop that made it clear their fears were warranted. It was around 8.30 at night. We were closing up when we heard the door, so we turn. And right there, just in front of them, was a man who was completely covered up with a hooded sweater, a mask, and gloves. He approached them both, pointing a gun. They'd never seen him before, but he already knew who they were. And both women said he spoke with a Nicaraguan accent. And he told us, stop around, you sons of bitches. And then I made the connection, because at first I thought, he's here to rob us. But then I thought, no, this is something else. He pounced on Raisa. He throws himself against me in one go, and with his hand, he starts strangling me. But at the same time, he keeps pointing the gun at her. Raisa tried to fight back, but with his hand around her neck, he pistol whipped her, and she passed out. Berenice started hitting him from the other side. If you ask me, this man was a professionally trained man. The first thing I thought about, my son. This man is going to kill us. And then suddenly, he left, stealing nothing, slipping into the night. Raisa and Berenice both believed that they were targeted by Nicaraguan agents. The reason for the attack is that we represent the exile in Costa Rica and the Nicaraguan exiles throughout the world. We represent the resistance. CNN has no way to know if this was a Nicaraguan agent. Costa Rican police wouldn't comment on their case either. But the official position of the Costa Rican government is that there are no spies from Nicaragua operating in the country and targeting exiles. We're always talking to Nicaragua and maintaining a conversation to respect each other's sovereignty. We wouldn't tolerate such a threat. That is Jorge Torres, the director of Costa Rica's Directorate of Intelligence and Security. But another senior government official with deep knowledge of the situation told us a different story. He said that there are Nicaraguan intelligence operatives working here in Costa Rica right now, and some are specifically targeting Nicaraguan exiles. It's now been a month, but both Berenice and Raisa are still really scared. They believe that the Ortega regime is still after them. And these women aren't alone. We spoke to nearly two dozen exiles who all fear the same thing, that Ortega's reach extends far beyond his borders. Ortega calls himself an elected president, but for many, he is the Western Hemisphere's newest dictator. How he came to power when we come back. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. 
Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The fear is bad outside the country, but inside the country, it's even worse. So my producer, Natalie Gajon and I, we spoke to nearly two dozen people living in Nicaragua, and they all told us that right now, living under the rule of Daniel Ortega, things are just so intense. And so, Natalie, I, I want to bring her in here to help me tell this story, because, Natalie, you've covered this story for years. Yeah, and they've been bad for a while, but they're just getting worse in the months leading up to the elections. I mean, dozens of politicians, journalists, human rights activists, they're all now locked up. It's like Ortega doesn't care anymore about what people say about him, about violating the rules as they're written, as long as he could cement his hold on power and basically clear the path for his re-election. But here's the thing that gets me about Ortega. He did not start out this way, and in some respects he started out in an opposite way, because he first made a name for himself as a socialist revolutionary back in the 1970s when he was fighting a dictatorship. Exactly. And this is the rich part of this country's history, right? From the 1930s to 70s, Nicaragua was controlled by the family of Anastasio Somoza. They were horrible, corrupt, brutal. Right. But then there came this ragtag group of socialists who called themselves the Sandinista National Liberation Front. Managua, a tense and battle-scarred capital following two days of violent street fighting during which 35 persons were killed and twice as many wounded. The protests were set off in opposition to the ruling Somoza family. They started a revolution, and they toppled the Somozas and eventually made Ortega their president in 1984. The problem was this happened during the Cold War when Ronald Reagan was president of the United States. And so he wasn't a big fan of the fact that a socialist leader was running a country, Nicaragua, not that far from the United States. So what did the U.S. do? Well, they started funding these rebel militia groups called the Contras to fight back against the Sandinistas led by Ortega. And that ended up in a just horrific civil war. About 50,000 people died. And then Nicaragua plunged into poverty. And as a result, Ortega lost the 1990 presidential elections. I want to express to all Nicaraguans that the president of Nicaragua, the government of Nicaragua, will respect the popular vote in these elections. But by then, he'd clearly gotten a taste of power, and he wasn't ready to just sail off into the night. He wanted to become president again, and so what did he do? He kept running again and again. And remember, even though he wasn't president, Ortega was still the leader of the Sandinista party. And so eventually, he managed to get the party to change some of the election rules so that he could get reelected. And finally, he got what he wanted in 2006. 
y el presidente electo de Nicaragua, Daniel Ortega Saavedra. Exactly. And over the next 15 years, what does Ortega do? He works hard to take control of pretty much every branch of the Nicaraguan government, from the courts to the military, the police. He even introduced a law that eliminated term limits. Basically, it meant he could be president forever. To the point where he had so much power, he even made his own wife, Rosario Murillo, his vice president. But after all of that, it was a change in social security benefits, of all things, that prompted the biggest uprising in Nicaragua since the Sandinista Revolution. It was April 2018, and people in Nicaragua were already struggling. And then the government announced that it would cut pensions while raising taxes. This affected students, mothers, farmers, the elderly, literally everyone in this country. And these frustrations with money, with corruption and repression, they hit a boiling point. We've been living under this dictatorship for the past 12 years at that moment. So we were just tired of all the corruption, all the violence, all the things that happened, not only in that moment, but in the past years in the country. That's Madeleine Caracas. She's 24 and been an activist for years now. Ortega has been president since 2007. So the people of my generation have been growing up with the same old man in power. And we don't know anything about democracy. So at that point, as students, we were the ones leading all the protests. And the people believe in us. So they started to join this protest. And so thousands of people filled the streets to protest. And it felt like the whole country turned out, ready for a change. It started peacefully, but the Ortega regime responded with violence. The police is supposed to protect us. And they were the ones that were beating us. People that were only protesting in a pacific way, just with their voices, their flags, their signs. And this shocked the entire country. One of the images that impacted the whole country was the police shooting this 15-year-old kid. She's talking about Alvaro Conrado. He was there to support the protesters by handing out water. His last words were, I can't breathe, because the police shoot right at his neck. We saw this on a Facebook Live, the entire country saw this kid die in front of our eyes. And when his mom spoke to reporters? She said, I ask myself, why now? Why so young? Why didn't I get to spend more time with him? And the country grieved with her. Ortega then did walk back the changes to Social Security, but it was too late. After the brutality displayed by police and paramilitaries against ordinary Nicaraguans, the damage was done. After that, the whole country was on the street. No matter if you were a student, no matter if you were a taxi driver, you will be on the street because you were tired. And we needed, as a country, justice. 
But as the movement grew, so did police crackdowns, and activists even had a name for these paramilitary groups hired by the government. Caravanas de la Muerte. Caravans of death. So basically, these paramilitary guys, they load up in the back of these pickup trucks, and they literally go door to door in some cases, hunting down protesters and obviously intimidating ordinary people. And sometimes they would even drive through these neighborhoods firing indiscriminately. So the people had to organize and had to protect their own life and community. Protesters fought back by blocking roads so these armed groups couldn't get through. But Ortega responded with Operación Limpieza, or Operation Cleanup, which let him treat protesters like terrorists. They were tear gassed, tortured, even murdered. And by the end of it all, human rights groups say the death toll was more than 300. Thousands more were also arrested and detained, some of whom are missing to this day. A month after the protest began, the Catholic Church managed to arrange a dialogue between the government and some of the protest leaders. And Ortega, he agreed to attend. Madeleine was there too. And was one of the scariest moments of my life because the people that just the day before were like following us, were shooting at us, were killing our people. And now they are there, surrounded us with all their power, pretending to protect the president. (laughs) And we were the ones that needed protection. This was a big moment. It was the first time that protesters and the regime were officially coming face to face, and it was playing out on live TV. Everyone in the country watched when Ortega pulled up in a Mercedes Benz. When I finally saw in front of me, like in real life, the president, and I had so much anger, like I could feel like a huge ball of anger and pain. Ortega then launches into a 10-minute speech. He painted his own picture of the conflict. In his world, his troops weren't killing protesters, and all of this was the opposition's fault. Should the police tolerate that kind of act? Should the police stay back in the barracks and let the country turn into chaos? Let everyone apply the law as they do, as they think? Let Nicaragua be filled with revenge, with hatred, bathed in blood? The students managed to listen quietly for five minutes until... They could not take it anymore. And that moment when you hear these words coming out of this man, we were victims of this system that beat us, that threatened us. So for him to deny all of this was like, I can't believe it. We couldn't believe it. They yelled at him to order the police to stand down. They called him a liar and a murderer. And by the time it was her turn to speak, Madeleine was ready to explode. I decided to grab the microphone and scream and read loud at him each name of the people that until that moment were killed by the police. Richard Alvaro Manuel 
and my voice started to crack and we we are all crying i tried not to cry because i was reading this name but this name were not only names they were like people with dreams with life ahead of them Madeleine got to say her piece, but in the end, Ortega only doubled down. So he spends the next few years crushing dissent. He outlaws protests, he enacts new national security laws, and he intimidates his opposition. Things look grim. This is happening right now. You could be kidnapped in your own country. You could be tortured in your own country just because this government don't like you and don't want you to express yourself. And the ones that are not in the country, we were forced to be in the exile. I lived in Nicaragua in 2018, five days after my appearance in the National Dialogue. After that, I was threatened that if I go back to the country, I could be put on jail. So I have to be in the exile to save my life. But through it all, protesters did hold on to one last hope, free and fair elections in 2021. So many of us were like skeptical about it, but also deep down inside of us was this hope you relied so much in the elections. Because otherwise, what else do we have to have Ortega be out of power? When we come back, one last try for democracy in Nicaragua. So as bad as things were, and this may be hard to believe, things got worse this past June. There was this campaign that began that would arrest anyone who could be seen as a threat to this regime. And it started with a woman named Cristiana Chamorro. There is no government really in Nicaragua. What we have is a system of repression to maintain the people under control. So Chamorro declares her candidacy on June 1st. She's a relatively prominent opposition figure. And the next day, she gives a press conference outside of her house. Segundo, quiero recordarles a todos que en este mes se cumplía el plazo de la OEA. And moments later, she's arrested. She's charged with money laundering and mismanagement of her nonprofit, vague charges, and she denies them, but it is enough to disqualify her from running in the election. And that was just a taste of what was to come. Since her arrest, we saw at least a half dozen people who would likely run as prominent opposition candidates against Ortega for the presidency, they were arrested. And it wasn't just people who would be on the ballot. It was also leaders in the opposition, human rights activists, journalists, even the publishers of prominent newspapers. Anyone who had a voice who could criticize this regime was a target. But Natalie, what what shocked me was how fast this happened. We're talking about a matter of weeks that Ortega essentially wipes out the opposition. It shocked me and it shocked everyone. I think everybody believed that 2021 was going to be the year where they were going to have elections and be able to, to voice their opinion in a way of, I'm going to pick an opposition leader. And here we are with 
all of these opposition candidates jailed or in house arrest or disqualified, it basically, I mean, it showed the world how willing Ortega was to stay in power. And what he did was use this this law called National Security Law 1055. And this is a very vague law that basically gives the Ortega regime the power to charge just about anyone with national security violations. It's written in a vague way so it can be used as a political tool. And that's what Ortega did here. He used this law as a very convenient way to clear the ballot of any credible opposition candidates. And that led us to November 7th. And so it's election day in Nicaragua, and some people were lined up outside of polling booths to vote. And from the outside, it might have looked like any other election. If you didn't know the context, the backstory, all that's led to this point, you might have thought this was normal, including when Ortega and his wife showed up. Yeah, and that happened at noon. Ortega and Murillo show up to cast their ballots, they walk up to the voting booth, pencil in their own names, drop them into the ballot box. This is happening all while cameras are flashing and people are applauding. And to see that, you know, you you think about the Nicaraguans and those that have sacrificed so much for democracy. It must have been so hard for them to to just realize that this was happening. There's a lot of Nicaraguans that live around the world. And in these communities, in these diasporas, protests popped up all over the place. In Washington, D.C. In Miami. In Madrid. And in Costa Rica, people showed up to protest dressed as clowns. One female protester told CNN and Espanol that the election is a circus, hence the costume, and the vote is a joke. Yeah, but protests in Nicaragua looked a little different. Activists called for people to boycott the elections. They trended the hashtags Quédate en casa, which means stay at home, and Mi candidato está preso, or My candidate is incarcerated. They even put out a song about it. The citizens said no. They did not vote. And only the people who supported Ortega were there. The streets are empty. The voting centers, they're all empty. So that's the voice of a student activist who's actually still in the country, and we're not using her name for her own safety. But she told us that most people in Nicaragua were actually boycotting the election, that people were staying home. One NGO monitoring these elections estimated that roughly 80% of Nicaraguans stayed at home. They didn't vote. And the people who did show up they might not have been there by choice. They're forcing people who work for the state to vote yes. And if they don't, they'll be fired. And it's things like that, that any objective analysis of these elections would lead you to the conclusion that these elections were a sham. And yet, despite that, officially, Daniel Ortega won more than 75% of the vote. And his term as president of Nicaragua is going to continue. And I think what you have here is two sides of the same coin after speaking to so many people in this country. On the one hand, you have people who are just sad. They're tired. They're frustrated. They cannot believe that this is the situation, the state of democracy in Nicaragua. But on the other side of that same coin, everyone that we spoke to 
showed this spirit of resilience. We spoke to one guy who said, you can't kill the idea of democracy. Yeah, we might have lost this battle, but the fight for democracy in Nicaragua goes on. The odds look long at the moment, but so many people that we spoke to are clearly willing to continue this fight. And that's why we're going to be watching what happens in this country in the months and years ahead. Tug of War is a CNN audio original series production. Megan Marcus is our executive producer, and Haley Thomas is our senior producer. Our producer is Emily Liu. Our associate producers are Alex Stern, Nathan Miller, and Xavier Lopez. Mixing and sound design by Francisco Monroy. On the ground reporting by me, Matt Rivers, Natalie Gajon, and David Von Blanc. Additional reporting by Alvaro Murillo in Costa Rica. And we couldn't do this episode without the help of a journalist in Nicaragua who we cannot name for their safety. They helped us gather interviews in the country and risk their life to do so. With support from Carlos Suarez, Kim Cervantes, Miriam Annenberg, David Lindsay, Chip Grabo, Kelly Slade, Mariano Castillo, Ashley Lusk, Lindsay Abrams, Rafina Ahmad, Lisa Namro, and Courtney Coop. New episodes of Tug of War drop weekly, so please follow wherever you get your podcasts. It's absolutely worth a listen. And please give us a rating and review. It helps others find the show. The show takes a break next week for Thanksgiving, but the week after, Clarissa will return for the last episode of the season, where she'll take you to Syria. I'm Matt Rivers. Thanks for listening. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app.